speak right here. Anthony Lazara called me from his brother's house in Tampa. That's his nephew helping him record this interview. Okay, well, the, the iPhone is recording now. This situation, calling me from Florida, won't really tell you a lot about who Anthony is. My name is Anthony. Oh, it stopped recording for some reason. Wait a minute. Damn it, it's not recording. What happened? Well, the screen goes off. Oh, the screen goes off. Yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a oh, nerd okay. when it comes to this stuff. The last place Anthony wants to be is Tampa. For almost 40 years, he's been living in Peru. He runs a pediatric clinic there. I have a home for destitute, uh, sick children. Uh, We furnish the children with medical care, and then uh, once they're well, we send them home. When he was a young man, Anthony left a successful career as a pediatric specialist in Atlanta to start a clinic for children in a small village. It's about 15 miles outside of Lima. Okay, well, most of the children that we have come in from the rural areas, since uh, they do medical care, for example, a child with with a heart problem or a child with a kidney problem, you don't, they, they are non-existent outside of the capital. Day in and out for decades, Anthony has seen children with a host of medical conditions, many of them genetic, that can't be cared for anywhere else, at least not somewhere where the families of these children could access. We have three children with cleft lip and cleft palates, which are very common in Peru because uh, of the um, indigenous population. At the moment, we have three children with clubbed feet. We have uh, two children, older children. One is 15, the other is 14, that have dislocated hips. And some children end up with problems because their mothers don't have access to prenatal care or something went wrong in labor. Uh, Many of them are asphyxiated at birth. Uh, They are attended to by women that have experience in birthing, but they're not formally trained. So we have a high incidence of um, cerebral palsy. We have uh, a little girl that was born without any musculature at all. She has no muscles at all. For Anthony, this is his calling. But without a doubt, it is stressful work. So twice a year, he comes to Florida to visit relatives and take a break from the difficult work that he has performed for most of his life. After a few weeks, he usually returns to Peru. But right now, he's in his brother's guest room, talking to me, wishing he was back at his clinic. He has a staff of 24 nurses, doctors, and educators that provide services for the children at the facility. But, uh, of course, I'm locked out. No one can go in. No one can come out. I, I should be down there really, with the children and with the employees. And like all of us, Anthony isn't sure that he'll be able to return to his life's work. So he waits, not sure what tomorrow will bring. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Anthony experienced quite a bit of personal success before he decided to walk away. It was a good life. It was a good life. I had a a nice uh, condominium and a sports car and lots of friends and making lots of money. He was a pediatric specialist at Emory University. He worked in a research facility. They were publishing papers, 
all of that was fine until he and some of his friends took a trip. We went to India as tourists, and we started off uh, in Calcutta. And we certainly were not prepared for what we were going to see. We knew that there was poverty, but we felt like, well, it wasn't going to be that bad and we could handle it. But it was terrible what we saw, and uh, we were severely affected, all of us. He saw children on the streets of Calcutta that lacked basic needs like food or medical care. We saw one child covered on the street, on the sidewalk, covered with a blanket. We didn't know if the child was living or dead. We didn't know what to do. So two pediatricians just walked on, sort of ignoring the situation, which also was kind of difficult, very difficult for us. Then he thought back to his life in the States, and he was no longer convinced that he'd made the right choices in life. And then I contrasted what I saw on the streets of Calcutta with what I was doing at Emory University, which was taking care of very tiny, premature infants. Some of them weighed as much as, as little as a pound, I, I should say. Surrounded by hundreds of thousands of dollars of worth of equipment and the care that we took went into them. And you know, But that really, when I saw what was happening in, in India, that made no difference to me anymore. It was, seemed like an empty type of life, even though I had what m- many people would consider so much. I really wasn't doing something important, if you know what I mean. I mean, it was important, yeah. but it was something that anybody could do. So Anthony, after that trip, decided to change his life. Informed also by his faith, he now felt that it was his duty to provide quality medical services for those who were without. He met a priest who had started a medical facility in Peru. He worked there for several years and then started his own compound. That was 1982. He's been there ever since. And he loved the work. It was the children and the work that I was doing and and the parents that would bring their children to us and the children that were referred from rural areas where medical care was non-existent. Uh, That's what really Mm. attracted me. He's become a part of the village there. I mean, he spent most of his adult life there, but he truly is there only to serve these kids from sunup till sundown. Anthony's life is consumed with this work. His day starts before sunrise. They have to bathe before they go into Lima for their medical appointments, or they have to bathe before they go to school. The younger children go to school at 8 o'clock, and the older children, there are two sessions, the older children go to school at 1 o'clock. So the, the day begins actually about 5, 5.30. I have to go down, rouse the kids out of bed, help the nurse get the kids ready. I have to open up the house, uh, unlock the doors, and that type of thing. Then uh, at about 7 o'clock, we uh, we all sit down for breakfast. Um, at about 8 o'clock, uh, a group of children that have medical appointments go into Lima for their medical appointments, and the children, the younger children, go to school. They stay in school until 1 o'clock, in which they come home for lunch. And then the older children that eat at noon will then leave for school at 1 o'clock. We have, at the moment, 30 children, so some children might run a fever or have problems with diarrhea or what have you. So during the day, the nurses will consult me about that. And every day at about maybe 9 o'clock or so, I take a full report from the nurses on each child of what's gone on during the previous um, 24 hours. Then we have we have uh, a teacher that comes in at 6 uh, in the evening to help the children with their homework. 
And at nine o'clock, everyone is in bed except for me. I stay up until about 11.30 or so. And so at the end of the day, Anthony retires to his room, pops open a beer, and watches Sports Center. Just kidding. And so I usually get into my room after the children, after we put the children to bed. I would get up to my room at about 9.30. In between 9.30 and 10.30, I try to read uh, the, the, the recent pediatric literature, medical advances, and that type of thing, just to try to keep up. And then between 10.30 and 11, I read the newspaper, again, to keep up with what's going on in the country and in the world. And then between 11 and 11.30, I, I shower, and 11.30, I'm in bed. Yes, it's very regimented for myself and for the children. The children need that. They need to have a, a very structured day. From uh, Monday through Saturday at noon, the, the, the week is extremely structured for the children. This kind of regimented life of service doesn't come without a cost. Anthony says the stress does get to him. But his faith is a kind of balm. I'm a Catholic. Our church is very close to us, and I go to daily Mass and communion, and that certainly helps a lot. There's, there are times when I... My faith uh, is not as enhanced as I would like it to be. Enhanced is an interesting way to describe feeling strong in your faith, in this particular moment at least. Anthony doesn't say anything about coronavirus, but he doesn't have to. Anthony had gotten quite used to being able to fly back to the States twice a year. That also helps me, you know, with continuing on. While he's gone, the social worker at his clinic in Peru takes over. I can come back for about three weeks each time. The social worker takes over. We talk twice a day. She emails me very frequently. To come to the point where it's come to now, no one, I had no idea that that was uh, going to happen. And if I, if, it, if I had that idea, then I probably would not have come. The pandemic is hitting the local economy hard. Many people in the village are out of work. It's as if the coronavirus was a massive game of musical chairs where all sorts of people got stranded wherever they were when the music stopped. For many of us, that's an inconvenience. But for Anthony, he's got dozens of children and staff depending on him. He made a choice when he was young to devote his life to the well-being of the children in this village. Coronavirus has left him a world away from them. So that's where we stand right now as far as that. I don't know when I'll be able to return uh, to Peru. Anthony said he continues to pay the salaries of some of his workers, even if they can't come in. The global impact of the virus has reached Anthony's small village, including the virus itself. There's two cases in our little village, so the the concern is about them, the children and the employees. So the children are totally quarantined and they're setting up, you know, they wash their hands uh, very frequently. Anybody that comes in from Lima washes their hands. So, I mean, that's my main worry. And then, of course, paying the help, I have to okay a transfer of funds to the employees so that they can be paid. Another headache that Anthony has to deal with now, finding a way to get money to his staff. And if I'm a peer, that's going to be impossible. So I've told told the accountant, please go to the bank, explain what happens, that I cannot give my okay. Mm -hmm. If they want me to, I can call them from here and okay it, you know. But uh, so that's those are the other things that 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 we're having to work through. Right now, Anthony remains in Florida with no way to return to Peru. The children are safe, he tells me, but because only emergency medical care is permitted, 
they cannot receive the supportive care they need from his facility. He's trying to stay hopeful and to keep himself busy. Well, again, um, you know, my religion, unfortunately, the mass is not permitted here as it is in many dioceses in the United States. But uh, I pray and I meditate and I read. Uh, I have a lot of medical literature that I want to, you know, try to digest while I'm here. Um, well, you know, the world, the world, unfortunately, doesn't always make sense. And it's not making sense right now. And I have, you know, I mean, my faith is being tested right now. There's no question about that. I am praying that the pandemic ceases, but the question always comes up, why is there a pandemic? You know, so my faith is being tested, but, you know, I know that God is good and that God can bring good out of any evil. And I'm sure that's, you know, I, I have a finite mind, not an infinite mind. I can't, I can't plumb the, the, the infinite mind of God. So I have faith. My faith is what keeps me going. Well, Tony, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Are you sure that this thing recorded has been blank like that? Special thanks to Anthony and to his nephew, Damien, for helping us share the story. You can find out more about his organization, the La Paz Foundation, through the show notes of this episode. Telescope is made possible by the ACE team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. I miss being in the office with you all. I know I say that every time, but I do. Today's episode was produced by Carla Green and me. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and Vikram Patel. Our managing producer is John Asante. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks, as always, to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. We do want to stay connected to you during this strange and unprecedented time in our history, so please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you would like to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. We'll see you on Wednesday.